Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. And welcome to episode number 160 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tripodi, and I'm joined by Tony Pauline, as always, and we are now almost through 10 weeks of the 2020 college football season. Week 9 included more COVID-19 related news, with Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence testing positive for the virus and missing the Tigers game against Boston College, which actually allowed the Eagles to build a pretty big early lead and go into the fourth quarter ahead before they eventually lost the game. In addition to Lawrence's absence, which will extend into this week's big matchup against Notre Dame, we also get the Pac-12 back this week, so we'll finally see all five major conferences on the field for the first time this year. And don't forget the Mid-American Conference, because as uh, we are taping this podcast, behind me I have two televisions on watching uh, four different uh, MAC games, so it's good to have them back. They've got a couple of prospects that we've got to keep an eye on. Uh, it's sad that these, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I think these conferences got it in gear a little bit too late, uh, which really there's a very thin margin of error, as we're seeing in the Big Ten with schools like Wisconsin. Uh, but it's good to have them back on the field. Maction, baby. There's really nothing like it. But, Tony, if you have two TVs, how are you watching four games? It's called the channel clicker. <laughs> Just uh, <laughs> switch uh, from one station to the next eventually, you know, depending on who I'm watching. Uh, Central Florida is playing Ohio, so uh, Central Florida. I'm sorry, Central Michigan's playing Ohio. So when Central Michigan, uh, when Ohio has the ball, I'm interested in this game to watch some of the uh, Central Michigan defenders. And the other game, uh, Buffalo is playing uh, Northern Illinois. Buffalo obviously want to watch their offensive players, Jarrett Patterson, the running back who will be entering the draft, and uh, Kawadi Awiska, Awuska, Awusika. The offensive lineman that is highly rated in scouting circles, though I have him as a six-round choice. Now, enough about the Mac. If you want to hear more, you can go back to our summer preview where we went through all those teams, including many of those players Tony just mentioned. And we'll get to this week's show in just a minute. But first, a word from our sponsor. The NFL season, in addition to the college football season, is now officially in full swing. And while you may not be at the game this year, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Trevor Lawrence is no longer the Heisman Trophy favorite, now third behind Mac Jones and Justin Fields. I think Zach Wilson is getting a little bit of a snub there. Clemson's NCAA title odds are also now third behind both Alabama and Ohio State with those aforementioned quarterbacks. And if that's the case and you're a betting man, I, I run and uh, see what the odds are right now on Clemson because they really should not be uh, third as far as the, uh, as far as the national championship uh, betting line is concerned. You're going to be able to triple your money. So uh, if you like tripling your money, feel free to go ahead and, and get in on Clemson because from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Now, in this week's On the Record segment, we move away from Trevor Lawrence, even though we could discuss him and what missing time could do to him and his draft stock. But in reality, the answer to that is nothing. And we don't want to bore you here 
on the show. So we'll talk about Jalen Waddle because this man is nothing but boring when he's on the field. Unfortunately, though, his next snap on the football field will likely come in the NFL after his season-ending ankle fracture two games ago on the opening kickoff. Now, the question here isn't whether Waddle will turn pro. It would be shocking if he didn't, but he was trending towards the first round before the injury, Tony. Does he still end up within the top 32 picks? Yeah, this is a tough one. Uh, I I mean, I think uh, conventional wisdom would say, yeah, because of the speed, because of the progress that he showed on the field. I'm going to say no, and I'm going to say no for a couple of reasons. First thing is coming into the season, scouts had graded him as a uh, second-round choice. I still have him as a potential first-round choice, but that ankle injury was pretty bad. Ankle injuries on those types of receivers are usually not good things. And the fact is this, Waddle did show – improvement in his game as a receiver this year but it wasn't sustained because of the injury and I think when you look at some of the other receivers in this year's draft it's going to be a very top heavy class especially if Rondell Moore Purdue gets back on the field I think in the end Jalen Waddle is the type of guy that could end up in the top of round two I'm going to go in the other direction here and I'm going to say that Jalen Waddle does end up being a first round pick he's not going to end up seeing the heights of maybe Henry Ruggs last season going in the top 12, but I do think he still sneaks in to the end of the first round. Not really a like for like replacement who would move up in his stead. Rondell Moore was a guy that was already up there. So it's not like Rondell Moore would replace him potentially in the first round. I mean, NFL teams are really just dying for playmakers on the level of Waddle. Kenyon Drake and Derek Henry, two former Alabama players had the same surgery that Waddle just underwent. They all had it at Alabama as well. Both of those guys have had productive NFL careers, or at least they've been able to last. Now, obviously, neither of them are complete burners like Waddle. They don't rely on their speed quite as much, although, I mean, Henry certainly uh, certainly shows that speed often on Sundays. But by no means is this a death knell type of injury. Now, obviously, Waddle's going to miss the pre-draft process, but we don't need a stopwatch to see how fast Jalen Waddle is. That being said, KJ Hamler didn't get to run last year, and if he had... I know Tony thinks he could have been drafted even higher than he was, and I tend to agree. There's a lot of quality at the top of this year's receiver class. Jamar Chase of LSU, Waddle's teammate, Devonta Smith at Alabama, Rashad Bateman, who's off to a bit of a slow start. you got to keep an eye on that. And then, as far as I'm concerned, Rondell Moore who, of Purdue, who hasn't seen the field yet. And then there's also Justin Ross of Clemson, who's not going to play this year because of a neck injury. So after you get those top, after you get past those top three guys, you know, you got three injured receivers, including Waddle. And then even after that, you know, Amon Ross, St. Brown of USC and Chris Olave, who's played spectacularly at Ohio State. So I just think that there's terrific quality at the top. Somebody's going to have to fall, which is why I agree with the playmaking ability of Jalen Waddle. You, you can't uh, you can't argue that. But I think uh, with the injury and the fact that he's really not a complete receiver, he needs more work on his game. That's why I think he, uh, he slides out of the top 32 selections. Yeah, that would be the one thing that could potentially push him out is just the fact that there are so many good wide receivers in this class. I mean, what we're seeing this year with the rookie wide receivers from last year's class, which was a great class. I mean, this year, you could argue it's even better, maybe not as deep, but even better at the top. Speaking of the first round, BYU Zach Wilson stayed hot this weekend in a 41-10 win over Western Kentucky, four total touchdowns, three through the air. Pass rush duo of D'Angelo Malone and Juwan Jones for the Hilltoppers were completely neutralized, both by Brady Christensen and the BYU offensive line, and by Wilson's ability to slide up in the pocket 
and escape outside when necessary. BYU scored a touchdown on each of its first five possessions in this game, and Wilson was virtually flawless in the first half. Did throw a second-half interception that was pretty bad. Pretty much handed Western Kentucky its only touchdown of the game. But I really continue to be impressed with Wilson. His ball placement is pinpoint accuracy to all levels of the field, arm strength to make all the throws, ability to throw on the move. It really does seem like we're watching the birth of a star here, maybe not to the level of Joe Burrow last season, both in terms of the level of prospect he'll be and whether he could go number one overall. But Wilson is so far in complete control in every game he's played this year. And he's got a big body of work, uh, which is also uh you know, something that, that bodes well for him, as well as the, uh, the continued progress and the continued production. As far as the guys we were watching, you, you know, you're right. You, you talk about uh, Zach Wilson looking good. Well, Brady Christensen, the left tackle, I thought looked really good. I mean, D'Angelo Malone was got no penetration at all. And once Christensen, who I grade as a fourth-round pick, and I know is well-liked in scouting circles, once he squared up into a man, uh, D'Angelo Malone, that was it. Game over. Malone was not able to get any penetration at all. Now, Malone's a little bit undersized for a edge rusher, if you will, at 6'3", 233 pounds. And he also has the ability, you know, to make plays in space, make plays in pursuit, shows a, a lot of uh, solid range, gets stepped on his pass drops. He's feisty. So I, I think that's where he will eventually end up sort of as a 4-3 traditional weak side linebacker. As far as Jawan Jones is concerned, I mean, he was getting manhandled by tight ends throughout the game. Uh, There was talk last year, or or it was mentioned to me last year, that Juwan Jones was thinking about entering the draft last year. Really looking at him, to me, he's he's nothing more than an ordinary prospect who right now grades as a free agent. Now, the theme with the rest of our reviews on the show is going to be players we wanted to watch who didn't end up playing full games or didn't end up playing at all. Now, Mississippi State was shut out by Alabama, 41-0, Obviously not a surprise there in terms of the result. KJ Costello's sliding draft stock really didn't stop his slide here. He got hurt in the first half, but I can't imagine that mattered much both for the result of the game or for how he looked on the field. I mean, he was four of 11 for 16 yards in the second quarter when he got hurt, checking down constantly is the only way he was even completing passes, struggling with pressure, wildly inaccurate, more than 10 yards downfield. I mean, it's pretty much been the story of his season. If you listen to past podcasts where we've discussed him, you probably hear many of the same words that I just said. His main wide receiver, Osiris Mitchell, just two catches for 17 yards. Will Rogers, the freshman quarterback, was no better in relief here. I mean, Devontae Smith, who we mentioned earlier, had three more receiving yards than Mississippi State had total yards in this game. I mean, this one got ugly, and it got ugly real quick. Yeah, you got to wonder what Mike Leach is going to do out there. I, I mean, he brings that offense to Mississippi State. Everyone's excited, and they get blanked by uh, Alabama in every way, shape, or form. K.J. Costello, another terrible game. I mean, the, the draft stock is sliding faster than you could imagine. Really, at this point in time, the only thing I think would save him is three, day, three days of practice, three days of real good practice, I should say, at the Senior Bowl, because I, I don't think he's going to be able to salvage anything this season. You know, uh, as Mike Leach said, uh, more uh, more than a week ago, before Ky- Kylan Hill left the uh, pro left the team, says, you know, we may need to purge uh, players from the uh, from the roster here. And you got to wonder if Mike Leach at this point in time is just going to say, let's forget about KJ Costello, let's see what we got with this guy Will Rogers, and see if he's our uh, quarterback of the future. Uh, you know, you mentioned Devonta Smith. I think the big, as far as I'm concerned, the big takeaway from this game was. Mac Jones just gets better and better every single week. I mean, the accuracy, the, 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 the throws, 
the ability to hit the deep ball, that's all obvious on film, but really his command of the offense and his control of the offense and the way he runs thing and the things and the way he's in charge really after taking, taking over for Tua uh, a year ago, ironically in the same Mississippi state game uh, and looking very ordinary in that Auburn game and looking very ordinary in that uh, uh, bowl game. Uh, it's, it's complete turnaround. I mean, you know, in KJ Costello, we're seeing a guy whose draft stock is, you're dropping at the speed of light and it's just the opposite with Mac Jones. I mean, I don't think anybody expected the the play that we're seeing from him this year. Yeah. I mean, even last year when he came in and obviously wasn't playing at the level he's playing at this season, they still really didn't miss that much of a beat. I mean, he was still producing that offense was still humming yet. Yeah, it had a couple of stops and starts, but really, I mean, Mac Jones came in and was able to do 90 to 95% of what Tua was doing in that offense I mean, this season, I mean, he's just as productive as Tua. Obviously, we're not saying he's the same level of prospect as Tua, but I mean, man, that you mentioned the deep ball. I mean, he every throw he makes down the field, and yes, it helps to have receivers like Jalen Waddle. I mean, not anymore. Devonta Smith, John Mechie, these guys can all get open down the field, but even when they're not wide open, he's just dropping every ball in the bucket. It is just so impressive for a guy who really he doesn't have a massive arm, but he's just so effective down the field. But the thing to me is, this, like I said, just his leadership, the way he's taken over that uh, offense and, and the way he, you know, he commands that offense. You can see that he's in charge on the field, which is which is pretty major. Now, over in the AAC, UCF rolled Houston 44-21. Marquez Stevenson left early with an ankle injury, had just one catch, 412 yards. Did show some nice acceleration out of his route play on that one catch. It was a slant route on the inside. But the reality is, he could have had a good game in this one, even against the UCF secondary. But what we saw without him shows how good he is and how important he is to that offense because Houston couldn't do anything against the UCF team that was missing four defensive players without Stevenson on the field. Uh, the Knights were missing safety Antoine Collier due to a gun arrest. Uh, they were missing a couple front seven players as well. Aaron Robinson, the cornerback, got hurt in the third quarter. Brandon Moore still is not on the field. I mean, it seems like the last man standing here for the Knights is Richie Grant. And he had another good game, seven tackles to add to his team leading total, had another interception. Now he has a team high three picks. He added a sack too, for good measure, just all over the field as usual in both the run and the pass games. His interception came along the sideline where he again showed off that sideline to sideline range that we've talked about often with Grant. It was an easy pick based on a terrible throw, but some defensive backs, especially safeties, drop easy picks, not Grant who really, despite lacking size or, or blazing speed, is just a playmaker, and he keeps making his case to be a second-day pick. I don't know that that's going to happen, although, you know, I, I had him as a second-day pick at one point in time, primarily because of the speed. I think he'd get by with the size, the way he plays. Uh, but the speed is going could be an issue, which could push him deeper into the draft. But he's just a real good football player. I mean, like you said, you talked about his ball skills and the hands for the interception and the range. You watch him. He is a tough physical guy against the run. He comes up the field and he drives his shoulders through ball handlers. He doesn't think twice about it. And he's been that way for a couple of years now. So uh, it's not like, uh, you know, he's a one-year wonder. He was really good last year. He was solid as a sophomore. As far as Stevenson's concerned, obviously you see what he means to that offense, that big play threat, the ability to take it deep, you know, not only just in the passing game, but also in the running game, because when you get a guy like Stevenson on the field who has the ability to hit the home run, those safeties, guys like Richie Grant have to move back, have to keep an eye on them. And uh, that was not the case on Saturday night. Now for our final week nine review, we'll head over to the big 12 
where Kansas's Drew Prox opted out before Saturday's game against Iowa State. Kansas ended up getting stomped 52-22. Not that Prox would have made that much of a difference there, but he would have made a difference maybe against the Cyclones tight ends. We did want to see him in coverage there, so it was a shame we didn't get to. What we did get to see, though, was a good game from Charlie Kohler, guy who releases well off the line, runs good routes, does a nice job boxing out defenders with his frame, especially in the red zone, knows where he is on the field, good, solid, reliable hands. I think he'll be a really solid all-around NFL tight end, maybe not a starter, maybe a low-end type of starter. He's not the kind of guy that's going to stretch the seam or make big plays, but he is just, you know, like Richie Grant, like we say about him all the time, just a good football player. Quarterback Brock Purdy also enjoyed a nice game in this one. Of course, he went up against some easy competition. Kansas is winless on the season, but 23 of 34, 239 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. Now, the interception was a brutal stare down. He also threw it way behind his receiver, really giving the safety an easy interception. But otherwise, Purdy was in control of this one from the get-go, more accurate than the last time we discussed him on the show, threw some nice deep balls, kept the offense on schedule, ran a bit when he had to, still drifts a bit too much in the pocket, especially in the face of pressure, causes his balls to sail at times. But overall, I'd say this was a step forward for Purdy. And he's also going to get a soft landing next week against Baylor to try to keep some of this momentum going. Yeah, you would expect after last season, Kansas would not be uh, undefeated. But, you know, with COVID-19, less miles had it. Obviously, uh, uh, different things or a different type of season as we've spoken about. I'm surprised by Prox uh, opting out. I don't know what the situation was. He only played four games last year because of injury. He was graded by scouts as a potential late-round choice. I have him as a free agent. I don't know that's the best move. I mean, he, he basically is a college linebacker uh, who's going to be moved to safety at the next level. So uh, we'll have to wait and see how that uh, works out. As far as Iowa State's concerned, you know, you mentioned Charlie Kohler, who's probably more of a late six-round pick type. As you said, you know, he's solid in all areas, but he's not that seam stretcher. They got two really other good uh tight ends Dylan Schoner who caught a pass as well as Chase Allen both are seniors both are 50 year seniors both are priority free agent types and both are guys that could make a roster not going to be drafted but could make a roster at the next level as number three tight ends I have been presently surprised by Brock Purdy in recent weeks I think he's played better but then again I am not as high on Brock Purdy as a lot of people I've seen people have him in the second day I got him in the sixth round because he's small and, you know, he's more of a Sandlot type quarterback, but I got to say, I think he's done a good job, uh, you know, rallying that team uh, coming up in the big spot for Iowa state. Uh, that game against uh, Oklahoma uh, was, he didn't have, he didn't have a great uh, completion percentage, but he made a lot of plays and, and helped, uh, helped Iowa state pull that, uh, uh, pull that upset. He also played relatively well against uh, Oklahoma state much better than the season opener when he just looked terrible. Now we'll move on to our week 10 previews, but first a word from our sponsor. With shoppers buying everything online these days, getting those holiday gifts for family and friends is going to be harder than ever, but no need to worry because our friends at Seattle shirt company have got us covered. Jay and the team have an unbelievable selection of NFL and NBA jerseys for everyone on your list. These jerseys are hundred percent authentic. From current superstars like LeBron James to all-time legends like Jim Brown, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Walter Payton, Seattle Shirt Company has it all. Lots of nice Mitchell and Ness jerseys available on their site. Also available right now for our listeners, we have a special one-time only pre-Black Friday Cyber Monday deal. Everything you buy at seattleshirt.com 
is 30% off. So head to seattleshirt.com and enter the code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, at checkout for 30% off your entire order. Shipping is always free. Seattle Shirt Company, helping you get ready for the holidays a little bit early. Now with the return of the Pac-12, come two intriguing matchups on the Week 9 slate. First, USC versus Arizona State, and specifically, Trojans wide receivers Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vaughn's against Sun Devils cornerbacks Jack Jones and Chase Lucas. Jones facing his former team here. USC dismissed him after the 2017 season for academic reasons. He played a year at junior college before enrolling at ASU. Small, but he's got good speed and ball skills. Lucas has a bit better size. As a result, should probably see a bit more of Tyler Vaughn's, who's a solid player in his own right. 74 catches for 912 yards and six TDs in 2019. Wins contested balls with length and concentration. Reliable possession receiver who isn't completely devoid of speed. Speaking of speed, though, that is St. Brown's game. 77 catches, over 1,000 yards and six scores last year. Doesn't quite have the frame to win battles like Vaughn's does, but he's more of a downfield playmaker who catches the ball well. Very smooth overall player and really somebody who could be destined for the first round. You know, the funny thing about this game is it's a West Coast game and it starts 12 noon Eastern time. So it's basically a a nine o'clock in the morning kickoff time uh, in the Pac-12. I I mean, that's uh, that that, that's Little League uh, uh, sort of stuff, nine o'clock kickoff. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, uh, hopefully we won't have a lot of players laying around the field with hamstring pulls or, or calf cramps and things like that. First thing is Jack Jones. I loved him off the USC film in 2017. I mean, he, he looked like a big time prospect. He made a lot of plays for USC. As you said, went to junior college, showed flashes last year. As you said, he's undersized. I have him as a seventh rounder. Some scouts think more sixth round. I think he's got the ball skills and he's got the speed and he's got the instincts to line up as a dime back at the next level. He can play in zone. He can play in man. He can play backed off the line of scrimmage. So he's got some scheme versatility to him. Chase Lucas, as you said, has got slightly better size. He probably goes about 180 pounds, 10 pounds heavier than Jack Jones. Uh, a little bit more physical than Jones in the sense that he's able to bring ball handlers down in the open field, really better facing the action in his own type system, not real great in transition or getting his head back around to uh, attract the ball in the air. Uh, as you mentioned, I mean, I talked about St. Brown before. I think he's a guy who could go late first round. He's a home run threat for USC. He's got decent size. He goes about six foot, 190 pounds. He's a terrific playmaker. He can uh, score from any point in the field. He's got the ability to stretch the field. And Tyler Vaughn's is sort of a nice com- complement to that. Tyler Vaughn's was considered more of a plug and play type of receiver compared to Michael Pittman, if you could believe it or that, Pittman, who was taken in the second round of last year's draft, because he's quicker, he's a terrific route runner, he gets separation, and he's got real good hands. I got Tyler Vaughn's graded as a potential late third, early fourth-round choice. There are some scouts that think Vaughn's can go early third round. One other receiver we got to mention who plays for uh, Arizona State, Frank Darby, uh, a guy who I think is insanely underrated, most scouts have him as a late round pick. I presently have him as an early fifth rounder. But when you look at the quarterback situation at, uh, at Arizona State, you look at many of the receivers that uh, have graduated and went on to the next level. I think Frank Darby's in line for a real big season, which is only going to help the fifth year seniors draft stock. Now from the passing game to the trenches, 
where Oregon State edge rusher Hamaka Rashad Jr. goes against Washington State offensive tackle Abraham Lucas. Lucas is a guy with good strength, definitely a right tackle prospect, not a guy who has the athleticism or the ability to get to the edge to play left tackle, which is kind of the opposite of Rashad, who is very athletic, needs to fill out his frame just a little bit, though, but 22 and a half tackles for loss and 14 sacks in 2019. Decent in coverage as well. I mean, this is probably a mismatch both in overall talent level and in style of player, but Lucas is the best option that the Cougars have against Rashad. Scary stuff, Tony. Yeah, I, I mean, Rashad's a guy who considered entering last year's draft off that sensational campaign. Then there was talk that if there was a supplemental draft in July, he was the type of guy who really should enter the draft. He didn't do either. You know, you, you look at the numbers and you think he's one of these guys that lines up with his hand in the dirt or stands over tackle and just rushes up the field. Nothing could be further from the truth because when you watch Prashed, they use him off the line. He plays smart, disciplined football. He does a lot more than pin his ears back and rush up the field. And I think this is going to be a major mismatch because Lucas, as you said, he's more of a small area guy. Doesn't show great footwork. Doesn't show the ability to redirect. Doesn't do the things necessary to start to that, that, that he's going to have to do to stop Rashad. So I would expect Rashad to have a big game, which will only further enhance uh, his value in the eyes of scouts. I have him as a third round prospect. Most scouts have him at earliest as a fourth rounder because he's a tall, thin guy who runs, who runs a decent four, doesn't have great speed. But the fact is this, he gets up the field and makes a lot of plays behind the line of scrimmage. And that is always something that is highly valued come draft day. Now for our third and final preview, We'll go back to the other recently returned conference in the Big Ten, and it's another matchup in the trenches, kind of similar to the one we just discussed a little bit. Maryland tackle Jalen Duncan against Penn State outside linebacker Shaka Tony. Duncan, a bit similar to Lucas before, good length and strength, better run blocker than a pass protector, just not that quick out to the edge, whereas Tony, two sacks so far in two games this season, and similar to Rashad as a fast outside linebacker, not quite the level of prospect, that Rashad is, but really another matchup of contrasting styles here. So Tony, what do you expect from Tony and Duncan? Well, Tony is one of those undersized college linebackers who almost always comes out of a three-point stance or stands over tackle. He rarely is asked to make plays in space or going in reverse. And he does a good job making plays up the field. Had a great first game, first game of the year against Indiana, kind of slid off a little bit last week. I have him as a fourth rounder, as a mid-fourth rounder. Some scouts have him in the late part of round four. Others have him in the fifth rounder. He's just a guy that I think has to develop his game because he's used in sort of a one-dimensional capacity at Penn State. Uh, Duncan, I think, he, he shows flashes. I don't know whether he's going to stay at left tackle in the NFL. He's got excellent size, 6'5", 318 pounds. Good job using uh, body positioning. Good jo job using angles to protect the edge. Only a third-year sophomore, so he's got a good amount of upside. I grade him as a fifth-rounder because I always like to see some progress and the guys that are not knockout can't miss pros uh, prospects. But again, this is a real good matchup for him to show, for Duncan anyway, to show that he can shut down or at least slow down a speedy edge rusher in Shaka Tony. And that's it for the 160th episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, Please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll be back next week with more college football and NFL draft talk now that all the major conferences are officially back on the field. But until then, on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tricotti. We'll talk to you soon.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.